Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hello and welcome to another episode of a Dad's Path podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today we're speaking with Melinda Casey, who's a Waldorf preschool teacher and parenting coach. Her coaching practice is called Parenting with Wonder. Welcome, Melinda. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Will. Yeah, thanks for coming. We're really excited about this. In the past, we've spoken to Montessori educators and you're a Waldorf teacher, which is a little different. Tell us about Waldorf. What's the difference between the two? Waldorf education has been around 100 years. It was founded in Stuttgart, Germany by Rudolf Steiner. I would say the big difference with Waldorf education compared to Montessori is Waldorf education is community-based. And what I mean by that is you kind of move as a, a unit together in the day. And so we're working when we're outside, we all come inside together and then So it's kind of like this flowing river. And with a Montessori, it's a little different. It's more individual-based. And so the children are working on activities on their own, and a teacher can help them. And But it's a little bit different in that way, I would say. But we still are looking at the child and their developmental needs and meeting them where they are. Both are sort of curiosity or play-based or, or I should say not focused on, you know, hardcore learning at this point. Is that correct? Yeah. So in early education, so we would say we consider early education zero to seven. And in that time, it's really play-based. And so we are just encouraging children in their free play. Waldorf world, it's very imaginative, creative thinking um, happening. And which opens up bigger capacities later on, I would say. There isn't a big emphasis yet. And the reason is everyone reads at some point, you know, typically. So the focus really is on movement, getting their bodies to move because they need that when they're so little. If you ever tried putting a five-year-old at a desk, it doesn't work very well. (laughs) So, yeah. The one thing that I struggle with with my kids, or especially my youngest one, is teaching manners. I agree. I'm I'm very much more like, hey, have fun, play, da, da, da. But, you know, oh, say please, say thank you. I mean, is that teaching? Is that, you know what I mean? Or Well, here's my thought on that. This has like really been brought to me within the last few years is like, you're not teaching at the children. You want to draw it out from them. So it has to come from their own will, right? Otherwise, it's just not authentic. And, you know, you want them to have this authenticity when they're saying thank you and please. It's not just as they have to say it. Um, So it's a lot of modeling, you know, showing them that when you're talking to them, you're saying please and thank you. And you're really modeling it for them as well. And I'm sure you do. But it's sometimes as adults, we forget that, oh, yeah, I also need to have my manners with my children. So... You know, we talk about that a lot and it's really annoying that kids don't do what we say, they do what we do, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. There's that James Baldwin quote, and I shared that with Danny. It was, uh, children are are really good at not listening to what we say, but imitating what we do, right? 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. And Danny is the person who introduced us, uh, Melinda and I, and he has the DC 360 podcast you, you guys should check out too. So quick shout out to Danny. But while we're talking about kids following what we're doing, when you talk to parents, when you see parents and you see a lot of them, what's something you think parents should do more of? I think we're so quick to react to our children and their behaviors. And behavior is a communication. Your child is probably tired, hungry, something overstimulated, you know. So I would encourage parents to, before they react to a behavior, is to really take a moment and like, what's what's really happening here? Is my child hungry? Are they hitting because they didn't eat all their breakfast this morning and now it's time? that? And so maybe at that moment you would say, you know, I think that you're hungry. We should go get you some food. You know, um, instead of saying don't do that, and of course hitting isn't ever a good thing, but if we can remember that behavior in children is a communication, I think it makes being a parent so much, not to say easier, but it makes your path a little smoother. That's really a great quote. Behavior is a communication. Like so many things, it's true for adults too, right? <laughs> uh, and then when it happens with our kids, you know, one, we're surprised and too. It's like, you know, we're so much older than you and, and we still have these issues. So it's totally unfair to expect that you're not going to. That's it. And yeah. digging deep into yourself and knowing like, okay, I have these moments as well. I'm not, you know, I'm not above it. And so being able to connect with your child on that, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. The ability to apologize and that sort of thing. That's uh, seems to be important. So you spend a lot of your time with parent coaching. Can you talk about kind of what that looks like, how you would typically start with a family, what the first move would be? Yeah. So the first kind of initial, I just want to find out goals, really. What's the goal in the parenting journey? And so what's happening and where can I help? And then I kind of set up the family values. We create a family values and that's where the whole family comes together and we sit down and maybe it's your four-year-old saying, I value playtime or, you know, any of these things. And everyone comes together and everyone has a voice. And I think that's really important when you are trying to create something that reflects the whole family. So our values, I mean, I know values are, are difficult to understand well, for a lot of us, um, but certainly for a four-year-old. So I, I understand like, you know, I value playing. You know, I also have a seven-year-old. So would I want him, because he he understands the idea of valuing his family, valuing having, you know, a loving family, but he also, you know, values going to the zoo, right? So, <laughs> you know, so is it is it both those things? Should the list be like half and half? Or That's a good question, Will. We value going out together as a family. We value experiences as a family, which is a great thing to value as a family, to go out and value hiking or whatever it might be. So we kind of make a general list, right? And everyone throws everything up and then we extract from that and pull out like 10 values. And these values can change every year. Okay. They don't have to be set in stone, but it's something that you can reference and you can go, okay. Um, you know, maybe someone isn't having kind language in the house and you can say, you know, we value our kind language in our home. Remember? And so they can remember that meeting or remember the, you know, I made a little, I painted something and, you know, give it to this family so that they can have it. So 
And obviously with smaller children, it might be pictures so we could draw, you know, what that value might look like. Right. No, I like that. And I think your point is right on. It's just important to codify it somehow, right? Because we always forget things or so you, you know, type it up, print it out or like you did do something beautiful or you paint it or, you know, draw it, but make sure that everyone's engaged and understands the values. And it's a good springboard, you know, it's a good way to, okay, this is where we're going and just a reminder, right? And then from there, I I do like one-on-one coaching sessions. And then at home, if I'm near you, like if you're here in local to Salt Lake City, then I can come and spend some time and do in-the-moment coaching is what I call it. Interesting. Now, that's uh, very helpful. And and I think you, you said you start with goals, right? What are the goals? And I, I guess I'd be curious, there's probably some pain point goals, like uh, we just we're shouting too much or X or Y or Z, but then they're, you know, we're at a eight, you know, our family's really, really, really good, but we're not an 11 and we want to be at 11. Is that sort of what you're seeing? What, what are people telling you why they're, what their goals are and why they're engaging with you? Yeah. I think a lot of parents are getting stuck in a mindset of punishment reward and they're looking for something different because it doesn't work. It might work on the surface, but in the end, it's not a very good way to go. And so the idea of seeing your children for who they are and really knowing them and giving them space and not reacting to every little thing. And I'll give you a silly example of this. My son, you told you he's 11. I have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 16-month-old. So I have a full home. Yeah. <laughs> but I had just gotten these mortar and pestles for my classroom And I had them out in my kitchen. I was going to bring them the next day to the class. And I let them put lavender in it and like grind up the lavender. And then later on in the evening, I found that there was honey in it. And I was like, who? And I I could feel like you could feel the anger rushing in, right? Like who did this? And then I just, I started going up the stairs. But someone was just being curious. And someone was trying to maybe make lavender honey and didn't realize like you probably shouldn't put it in there. So I walked up there and I said, who was making lavender honey (laughs) instead of, you know, who ruined this or who did this? And the thing is, it wasn't ruined. I washed it out and it came right out. It was like, I think sometimes we get upset and then we realize, oh, I mean, why would I be mad about that? Because he was being curious and just experimenting. And there's a lot of things I think as parents we get mad about because we're just on the edge sometimes, right? And we're like, oh, wait, I just, if I take a breath, if I take a moment and really think about, have that curiosity and wonder, then I can maybe not get mad about this and just say, encourage him next time to use something different. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to be a power struggle or. I love that. You know, you keep using that word curiosity, which I think uh, is illuminating. I mean, because that is what you should be is, hey, what's going on? And and then you also keep saying that, or, you know, behavior is a communication, right? Those two things go together pretty well. So you're curious, hey, what's, what are they saying? Not just why are they saying it like this, it's more like, <laughs> why are they saying? Yeah. And, you know, children also, we know, are just very curious beings in general, right? And they're a lot of times they do stuff and it's very like, it wasn't intended to be a bad thing. It just happened. I mean, in my classroom, I would never yell at a child. We don't do that. (laughs) You know, we don't yell at the children. 
And so I really try to bring that also into my home. Like I wouldn't yell at them, right? Because I don't yell at the children in my classroom, but not to say I don't. It it happens sometimes. Well, I'm a human. We all are. We all are. We all are. Well, speaking of your classroom, actually, in terms of physical things in your classroom, are there items you think that would be helpful for parents that you think it'd be good for them to have at home? I think with children, they really want to, um, especially when they're so little, I'm thinking preschool age children, they want to be doing what you're doing. And so I would encourage you to have like small brooms, um, you know, like my 16 month old will take a broom when she sees me sweeping and she'll wipe the tables. So they are watching everything you do when they're little like that. And they, they want to be doing what you're doing. So If you can have the patience and capacity to let your child chop some vegetables when they see you working in the kitchen, a lot of times children are scooted out and not included in. And I think the more we bring them in, even if it's just five minutes, that's like so nourishing to them, right? They just need the five minutes of chopping vegetables with dad, right? And then I can go back to do my thing. I think if you just give them that, It's also, again, easier for you because then they might go off and play or do something and feel nourished from that time with you. Those are great examples, you know, and I do love engaging young kids and using that as a way to teach. So like you're saying, you know, I could be cutting vegetables and just describing what I'm doing. So, you know, my little one's hearing the words and and also we're connecting, you know, that I'm not trying to be a, a teacher, but I think it's helpful all around. You are a teacher, though. You are your child's first teacher. That's the thing, though. Parents are teachers, you know. And that's why, for me, it's such a partnership, really, with the parent working together. What's, you know, in terms of the partnership, if you're partners, (laughs) what's the biggest mistake you'll see, you know, a parent making that maybe is reflected in school or maybe it's not reflected in school, but just a mistake in general? Okay. I think there's two things. Giving our children so many options. When they're little, they don't need all the options. They don't need to know what shoes are you going to wear? You know, these are all very big questions that can feel very overwhelming. And so when you're a child and you're like, do you, what do you want to wear today? Or what do you want to eat today? Well, actually, you need to make those choices. You need to say, this is what we're eating today (laughs) because that feels really comforting to them. They like to know like they're cared for, right? And so they don't have to make those big choices. And there will be a time when they can. And But I think when they're little, when we give them all the choices of what cereal do you want? Or, you know, it's a lot. I would say just have a cereal out and say, we're eating this or you can have this. You know, there there could be two choices and that's enough. Or even this is what we're having today and that should be enough. And so with that as a boundary too. And so I think that parents have a hard time holding boundaries. And when I say a boundary, it's really a firm and loving boundary. It's, for example, let's say you're at the store and your child is saying, I really want this toy, right? And you're like, nope. We're not getting the toy. We just got a toy a couple days ago. And let's say you are really holding that boundary and you're saying, nope. And then your child is like, well, I'm going to have a tantrum, right? I'm going to explode right now in the store. And that moment, I would actually just scoop up the child and leave the store and just be like, I'm going to come back when we're in a better situation. So it's loving because 
it's coming from a place of love and from your own self, right? And it's the child is having a hard time, obviously, like overstimulated, really wanting this toy. I would say just scoop them up and go and come back again. Because, you know, I think sometimes we think all these things have to happen. But honestly, sometimes that's the best thing is just to just to go. No, I, I love that. That's right on because, again, we're we're thinking, you know, hey, you three-year-old, why aren't you acting like me? I'm a mature 35. I'm not, I'm, I'm like 40, but, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you're not, you're not even close to have to developed a brain. And uh, my job is to be teaching you. So. And my job's to help you. Right. And a lot of times when things like that are spinning out, it's probably because of the right hungry, tired. So you can also think about all those things leading up to it. And did my kid get enough sleep last night? And it's probably not a good idea to be here. <laughs> you know, so just holding the boundary, I think is so important. And and that can be also with clothing, with eating. I would never make a child eat all their food, um, but I would encourage them to try a bite. You know, we call it in our preschool, we say fairy bites. Oh, that's a great word. Yeah. Or a brave bite, take a brave bite. And sometimes they'll take a brave bite and love it, you know, so. Those are great terms. I haven't heard those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try those fairy bites and brave bites. Yeah. And that's the thing too, Will, is like if we work with images with our children. So like when I say images, I mean like using our imaginative capacity, like telling stories, telling stories from when you were a child. You know, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, they love those things. They love to hear stories that we tell them. Or you can tell a story about a squirrel who didn't eat all its food and got really hungry. You know, like children respond to these um, images and they're really in that imaginative world still. I just took a therapeutic storytelling class pretty recently and we talked a lot about that and how stories are healing and can help children. Yeah. One of those things that, you know, when you said it, a light went off. It's so obvious, but I didn't sort of connect it in my head, both with trying new foods, but also uh, in general, how they think. I was going to say, I have an example when my daughter was in preschool and she was being a baby eagle, right? Instead of saying, it's time to clean up your room. I came in and I was mama eagle and we cleaned up the nest. And so if your children are in a you know, they're being a puppy or something. Use that. Use that um, imaginative bone that maybe you lost <laughs> along the way a little bit. And it's good for us too to, to work that muscle as adults. And talking of uh, story time, one question, you know, we get a lot is about bedtime and sort of the craziness around everything going on and a big struggle. Could you give us some advice on what you've seen work or not work in terms of uh, successful bedtimes? Honestly, if you can keep it the same every night, and I know a lot of people do this, they really do, but I would say depends on where you're at. So this is like the ideal situation, right? Like you start, you brush your teeth, you get your pajamas on. Um, I don't know what order other people do it, but in our house, I'll just give an example. So children get on their pajamas, brush teeth, they've been bathed. And they get into bed and we tell, we read a story every night and that's just been our tradition and they love it. They still love it. My 11 and nine year old, but you know, we're reading Harry Potter right now. So it's very exciting. (laughs) 
you know, it's been that way for so long that it just works pretty well. It's kind of a no fail in our home right now, but make it as ritualistic as you can. And what I mean by that is maybe light a candle, maybe sing a song, you know, make something, make it special. Maybe have some bedtime tea. Um, That used to be a thing when mine were pretty little that I would just get them like sleepy time tea and they would have a little tea and then we would read a story and they would go to bed. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, just to to end on this, uh, the magic note, you're reading Harry Potter and then you also, you know, taught a camp or or something on, on magic. Yeah, we just had a summer camp at my school and I ran it. It was a magic camp for preschoolers. And we spent a lot of time outside uh, making potions. And I encourage this to, you know, get messy in your yard, you know, let your children get messy because they really love to experiment and play. And so um, we are not afraid of the mud at Waldorf. (laughs) I mean, I would pick my children up from preschool and they would just be mud everywhere. And I'd be like, oh, you had the best day today. (laughs) So yeah, just have that curiosity and imagination. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of uh, magic tricks, you know, for kids, just because it's, you know, you do the trick. It's a wonderful way to get their attention too. All right. It gets their attention. and, And then it's a great, you know, sort of teaching tool. They're seeing, wait, how did this happen? So they're seeing not everything is as it seems, especially when you show them how it happened, you know, so they have to think a little critically there. And, you know, in my experience, the kids are also excited then to do the trick for other people, right? So then they're learning performance a little bit, some some confidence to talk in front of other people. And and then also not everything is explainable. I don't know how this happens, you know, because as parents, that's something we say. That's a good one to have. You don't have to answer all your kids' questions. You can just say, I wonder, and let them figure it out. You know, we're so quick to answer questions for our children, but the curiosity and giving them the space to like learn about these things is huge and it creates a bigger capacity for them. So, absolutely. Pause and like you keep saying, be curious, you know. Well, thank you, Melinda, for joining us. This has been really wonderful. Again, you can reach Melinda at parentingwithwonder at gmail.com. And thanks again. Thank you so much, Will. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on.